Tonight's Advent reading is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. I'm Pastor, Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word tonight as we're continuing uh, this Advent series, walking through the prologue. Uh, of the Gospel of John, John's introduction to his Gospel. And he states at the end of his Gospel that the purpose for which he's recorded these things was that so we might know that Jesus is the Christ and so that we might believe and have life in his name. Uh, I love the, um, the praise set, especially the, the Christmas carols that we sing during this time of year. And we just sang, What Child is this and there's there's one particular line from there it says joy joy the Christ is born the babe the son of Mary now that that implies that implies that the coming of Jesus the babe born in a manger is is a catalyst for our joy our joy now here's here's a question is that is that reality though is that reality so Jason last week in, in his open opening of, of this particular series, talked about the reality that this time of year with the darkness, I mean, I was just thinking as we were, as, as we were singing and we're looking at the, at the, you can see the screen. So during the summertime, you can't see the screen because there's so much light in here at this time right now. So on one sense, this, this season is a celebration of light and joy, but it's, it's dark. It's, it's kind of gloomy. It's winter. It's Iowa. And and yet, even, even when it's sunny out, there's a sense in which a lot of people, even Christians, that know that Jesus is their Savior, don't necessarily have joy. Would you agree with that? Okay, so that's, there's something wrong. There's something off kilter here. So uh, last week, Jason said that, uh, ended his message with an invitation to partake in the light, to walk in the light, and then to fight the darkness. Today, we're going to look at someone who did that. Someone who did that. So last week, Jason covered verses 1 through 5. We're going to look at these verses. Let's take a look here. Uh, read them. It's, a, it's concerning John the Baptist. Uh, the scripture here in John chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So here, here's what we're going to cover and what we're going to look at tonight. We're looking at the announcement of his coming. The announcement of his coming. Now the text, I'm just going to be straightforward with you. The text does not implicitly teach implicitly teach the importance of finding our identity in Christ. 
So I'm going to state that as a fact. However, it is interwoven throughout the life of John the Baptist. So we're going to look at three things tonight as we look at this person who was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light and how he found his joy in his identity as a witness for Christ and as a child of God. So three things we're going to see. We're going to take a look at John's identity. We're going to answer the question, who are we? Second thing we're going to look at is John's role. What do we do? And the third thing that we're going to look at is where do we find our joy, John's joy. So it's all, this, this message is really, it's wrapped up in who we see ourselves to be. So two questions, two questions. When you introduce yourself and you come, you desire to know someone for the first time, what's the first question you ask someone that you've never met? What's your name? What's your name? We naturally, when, we're, when, we're going, when we want to know someone, we have to know who they are. So it starts with the who. It starts with the who. What's the next question you ask that person? What do you do? Thank you, Felicia. You ask, what do you do? So our identity and our roles are tied up in our joy. Now, if we, if we mess up the order, if, if our identity is based upon who we are, or rather what we do, we'll, we'll, we'll mess all this up. Did I push a button accidentally? I sure did. There we go. Uh, so we're going to look at our identity, our role, and our joy through, through the life of John the Baptist. So let's uh, turn in our Bibles. If you have a Bible, uh, open up your app, your phone. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the windowsill there. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1. And, and the life of John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Let's seek the Lord in prayer and ask him to guide our time in the word. Father, we thank you that light has come into the world, even though the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not understood it. Father, we live in a dark and dreary time. In a literal sense, it's dark outside, but also the spirit of the age is darkness. Lord, our culture is descending into darkness as it runs further and further away from you. There's never been a time where the need of, of revelation of the light of Jesus Christ is more necessary than it is today. So Lord, we pray that you would shine light into our hearts illuminate the scriptures tonight and speak truth to us through your word that we might be rooted and identified in you, our Savior, and that our joy might be found there. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first out of the bat here. We have John's identity. John's identity. Verses 19 through 21. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So let's just, let's just stop right here. The first thing they want to know is, Who are you? Who are you? Now, he answers with three negatives. He answers with three negatives. And it's important for us to understand the historical context. There has been 400 years of silence in Israel where they have not heard from God 
through a prophet. There is also a heightened expectation that the Messiah is going to come on the scene very, very soon. So everybody's on edge, and John the Baptist has rolled out onto the scene. He is an eccentric figure. He wears a, a, a coat of camel's hair. He is kind of a wild man, if you will. He's eating locusts and wild honey, and he does his, he's, he's separated from the religious establishment, so he's not from the religious establishment. And everyone is running out into the wilderness to listen to his very fiery preaching and to be baptized by him. So it's quite possible that people are thinking maybe John is the Messiah. So they come and they want to know, what's your identity? Who are you? And he says, first of all, I'm not the Christ. They say, are you the Christ? Nope, I'm not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Christ is, is the Greek word for anointed one. It's, it's, it's the same word. It's, it's a Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew word for Messiah. So it means anointed one. So he's, he's saying, no, I'm, I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the Messiah. So they say, well, then are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? There was a common understanding, even still to this day with Orthodox Jews, that Elijah, his coming would precede the coming of the Jewish Messiah. So they're like, well, if you're not the Christ, you must be Elijah. Nope, not Elijah. So then they move on. Well, are you the prophet? The prophet is a reference to, a, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses says that there will someday come uh, a prophet like me. There will be another prophet, not another as in a long succession, but a, a really central prophet. And he says, nope, I'm not that prophet. So he in, in order to seek his identity, he gives them three things which he is not. And they say, so, well, well, who are you? Who are you then? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So let's, let's back it up. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. These are priests and Levites. They are Jews from the religious establishment. They are people of power. They kind of run the show, if you will. Members of the Sanhedrin, which is composed of two different sects in Judaism. Uh, uh, those who are Sadducees and those who are Pharisees. The Sanhedrin is mostly, mostly Sadducees uh, with some Pharisees. But the Pharisees are kind of a populist group, if you will if you will. So they are individuals who are coming out to John the Baptist, and they want to know who he is. And he says, if you want to know who I am, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He says, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40, chapter 3. Here's what he's saying. My identity is rooted in who I have been created to be by my Father as an image bearer of my Father to shine light on the Messiah. His identity is rooted as an image bearer of God. That's who he sees himself as. That's who he sees himself as. Now, the reason these individuals are so, they're so prone to want to know who are you is because his existence and his preaching is shaking their identity to the core. 
He's shaking their identity to the core. When John the Baptist shows up on the scene, he's preaching to Jewish people. And he says, the root is being laid to, to the roots of the tree. So bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, listen, you call yourselves children of Abraham. Let me tell you something. Your identity as an ethnic descendant of Abraham will hold no water when you stand before God. You'll be judged. And you need to repent. And these individuals that are asking the questions, they identified, they saw themselves as descendants of Abraham and they were righteous because of their law keeping. And John the Baptist is calling all that into question. So they need to know who he is. They need to know who he is. Now, let's switch gears a little bit. Jump into our century, our time. We know who the Pharisees are. We know who the religious, the religious people are here in this text. And we know who John the Baptist identifies himself as. Who do you see yourself as? Now somebody comes up to you and says, who are you? And you give them your first name. And they say, no, 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 I'm not asking what you call yourself. At your essence, what makes you you? How would you answer that question? Think that through. What makes you unique? What makes you, you? Where do you derive your worth? Where do you derive your dignity as a human being? Why are you worth two cents, if at all? Think that through. How would you answer that? Most of you are fairly young. You have most of your lives ahead of you. I've peaked and on the backside and going downhill right now at the age of 52. But when I was where you are at, most of you, if you would have said, what makes you you, I would have given you a really quite an idolatrous uh, answer. What made me me, or at least what I self-identified as, I would have said something like this. I am a wrestler. As an 18-year-old who came to the University of Iowa to wrestle, I wanted to find and base my identity, and I wanted to establish my worth in what I did as a competitor. And that's where I derived my significance. That's where I derived my self-worth. Now, some of you, you're not inclined towards athletic, but you're in academics, and you are setting out to establish yourself as a young person with a career in academics, in research. I am a researcher. I am a doctor. Or I plan to be a doctor. You see, you see how this works? See how this works? I remember uh, I competed all the way up until I was 29 years old. So from the time I was 12 to the time I was 29, I was in competitive athletics. You see, some of you were like, it took you until 29 to graduate college? You are really dense. No, I wrestled long past college. And I, I stopped wrestling in 96. But I had a friend of mine. We both tried out for the 96 Olympics. Neither one of us made it. And he was considerably better than I was. He was a sil silver medalist in the World Games in 1991. He was a two-time NCAA champion. And the guy that, he, that beat him in the 92 Olympic trials won a gold medal. Now, that's also somebody that he used to beat regularly when he was in college. And I remember when I first started preaching in 1998 and 99, he caught a message on public access TV. And, and he called, called me at Saturday night, like at 10 o'clock, and, and we got to talking, and he said, I was listening to your message. And he began to convey how, how he was struggling to overcome bitterness and anger towards God. 
Because this individual that he had beaten all through college, who had then beaten him in the 1992 Olympic trials, went on to win a gold medal. And then, like all athletes, his body began to break down. He's a couple years older than me, so he wrestled until he was 31. And his knees just couldn't hold up anymore. And so, but he identified in the same way I did as a wrestler. And so now it's 1998, and he's working for his brother. He's working for his brother, and his brother owns a fire restoration, flood and cleaning restoration. So when your house catches on fire, you have water in your basement, they come out and they clean all the mess, make everything right. So the sports column bar just down the road has, a, has an electrical fire in their storage room. And so it's a, it's a summer day, and he's there, and he's cleaning that up. It's a Friday, and he's there all morning, and he's down in their storage room, and he's filthy, and he's sweaty, and he's covered with soot, and, and he's just all grungy. And he comes up during the lunch hour when all the business people are there and they're having lunch and, and he's trying to flag down the waitress just for a glass of water. <laughs> and just walking by him like he doesn't exist. He's trying to get their attention. Trying to get their attention. Trying to get their attention. Finally, after not being able to get their attention, he says, the heck with it, I'm going to go to the bar. So he walks up to the bar to get a glass of water and he looks up and there's a poster of him with this pose, with his fingers in the air and his head cocked to one side after he had just beaten his rival who beat him in the Olympic trials and went on to win a gold medal. And he thought to himself, who am I? I can't even get a freaking glass of water in a bar that has my poster behind the bar. Do you, do you see the significance there? He'd identified himself According not to who he is as a created being in the image of God, he identified himself by what he did. And here's the reality. You can't do all things. And eventually the things that you identify with that you believe you'll find significance in, you won't be able to do them. Or you'll fail. Or worse, you'll succeed. And then you'll think your worth is based upon your performance. This is a dangerous game that we play. John the Baptist answers this way. My identity is staked not in what I do, but who I am. And who I am is a child of God, created in the image of God to call witness to the light that's come into the world. He sees himself in terms of his relationship to this God. So that's John's identity. That's John's identity. Let's take a look at his role here in verse 25 through 28. 25 through 28. They asked him, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where he was baptizing. Here's why they're so bent out of shape because he's baptizing. The Jews practiced baptism. That was not an uncommon thing, but not the way that John did it. The Jewish baptism in, in Jesus' day was something that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, would undergo. So this was a self-administered 
baptism or ceremonial cleansing by which they would enter the water. And symbolically, that would indicate that they recognized that as non-Jews, they were unclean and sinful and that they needed to be washed clean. And then if you were male, that would be followed by circumcision. If female, you're in the club. Okay, so that's, now you are Jewish. This is a conversion process by which you would identify as a sinner unclean that needs to be cleansed, cleansed. you would self-administer this baptism, and then you would be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Now, why would the Jews have a problem with this? John's baptism. Who's he preaching to? He's preaching to whom? The Jewish nation. And what's he telling them? You all need to repent. You all need to be baptized. He's grabbing hold of their identity and he is shaking it to the core. He's saying, listen, this whole child of Abraham thing, it doesn't matter. You're unclean. You're just as unclean as the Gentiles. He says, you, he says, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you see why? And here's what they're asking. Who gives you the right what if, if you're not the Christ, how is it that you come off telling us that we need to repent? How is it that you come off questioning our identity as faithful Jews who are right in the eyes of God because of our, our identity through Abraham and our law keeping? Who are you? And his answer, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, here's something that John doesn't tell us. Here's something that John doesn't tell us in his, in his gospel. Not John the Baptist, but John the, uh, the Apostle. He does not tell us what Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell us. That Jesus has come to John previously and told him, baptize me. Jesus and John the Baptist are, are distant cousins. Elizabeth and Mary, their mothers, are cousins. And so they knew of one another. They were probably acquaintances, although they probably didn't get together at birthday parties because they lived in different parts of the country. So it's, it's not like they hung around and played together growing up. But they knew of one another. They knew of one another. But John doesn't know that Jesus is the Messiah until his baptism. Until his baptism. So previously... Jesus comes to John and says, baptize me. And John says, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus says, let it be so now so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. You say, well, wait a minute. What, so what kind of baptism is John's? It's a baptism of? It's a baptism of repentance. So why would Jesus need to be baptized if he doesn't need to repent? This is not a baptism where Jesus is saying, wash me of my sins. Jesus is identifying with those whom John has baptized. He's identifying with the nation of Israel as one of them. So in one sense, everybody goes into the water symbolically to have their sins removed, right? They don't really get removed. Jesus enters the water symbolically to be, become unclean by identifying with all these unclean people that have gone into the water. Does that make sense? So he's identified with them. He's identified with them. And then after coming out 
after coming out, and, and John does reveal this in, in, in John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. We won't actually look at those, but here's, here's what he says. Upon coming up out of the water after baptism, John the Baptist witnesses the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descend upon Jesus as a dove. It doesn't say a dove descended on him, but the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. And then he hears these words. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. At that moment, John the Baptist knows that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So that's where we're at. Now let's take a look at the very next verse. Verse 29, the next day Jesus saw, or rather the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." So you remember the question. There's been two of them so far. There's been two of them. The first question is, who are you? John says, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. My identity is staked on who I am in Christ. Who God created me to be, that's who I am. And then they said, why do you do what you do? I do what I do because of who I am in Christ. My identity and my role are together. The reason I exist is to bring glory to God. And what I do, I baptize so that you might come to know him, that man. Because he's the Lamb of God. And he's come to take away the sin of the world. I baptize you because you're sinners and you need to know that you need to be washed from your sins. But my baptism can't make you clean, but he can. And that Lamb, that man whom the Spirit of God revealed to me as the Messiah, he is going to take your sins and he is going to separate them as far as the east is from the west. I am not the light, but that Lamb of God, he is the light. And he is the one who said, let there be light. He has spoken the universe into existence. He is the word of God. He is God. He was with God. And all things were created by him, for him, and through him. He is your Messiah. He is our Messiah. He is the Lamb of God, come to take away the sin of the world. And my identity is in Him. And what I do is because of who I am in Him, in that order. Now, let's pause. Go back to the question, what makes you, you? If you're not careful, you will fall into the very same error that many of us do. You will say, hi, my name is Brooks. I am a preacher. Now, what's wrong with that statement? That is what I do. What's wrong with that statement, though? I'll give you a hint. That's not who I am. It's what I do. It's interesting. Even as Christians, historians can't, they, we still screw it up. We, we want to identify people by, by what they do. The subject matter. Who's the subject matter other than Jesus? Who are we talking about? Oh, John the who? Is that his last name? Then why do we call him the Baptist? Because that's what he did. We cannot help 
pigeonhole people according to what they do. We can't help it. So we call him John the Baptist because that's what he did. Is that who he is? No. He doesn't identify himself as, hi, I'm John the Baptist. He says, I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. My identity is who I am in God, and my role is a function of my identity, but it's not who I am. We, why can't we get this straight? You know the consequences of not getting that straight? Despair or self-righteousness. One of the two. Neither are good. Neither are good. Let's just camp here uh, a little bit. Our identity is often tied to what we do. So what do you do? Why do you have worth? Now, what's the Sunday school answer? My worth is based on who I am in Jesus. Right. Well, that's the whole moral of the story, right? But what do you really believe at a functional level? Your worth is based upon what? What's that? Performance. Based on performance. My whole identity from the time I was 12 has been based on my ability to perform. Nothing's changed in my flesh. I know better, but I still stake my identity in what I do and how well I do it. That's why if I'm walking in the flesh, I can't stand criticism. Because it shakes my understanding of who I think I am. It's so stupid. I know better. I know better, but it's, st- it's still tough. Now, most of you aren't self-identifying as, as, uh, as, a, as a preacher. How many of you are vocational in ministry? There should, there's a few of you. Most of you are not. Most of you are not. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. If we keep plowing through this, there's a good chance that many of you are, are going to feel like, I didn't feel that really related to me or spoke to me. So let's take a look at John the Baptist speaking to people who are not vocational ministers like myself or like Jason or like Steve or like Elizabeth or, 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 or Alex. So let's take a look. He, and the crowds come to him, that is John the Baptist, what shall we do? In other words, okay, I know who I am. Tell me what to do. What should I do? And he answers, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, you're created in the image of God. Yes? Yeah? So God is a generous God. He provides. He provides for his children. So be like him. Go, go do what your father does. You're not the light, but you bear witness and you reflect the light, so go be image bearers. He's a generous God. Go be generous. Go be generous. That's what you should do. And, and then some specific people come to him, and they, they're tax collectors. They also came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? Now, are tax collectors generally liked in Israel? Uh, no, not so much. Not even close. They're despised because they are thought to be sold, uh, sellouts. Uh, they're Jews, but they work for the Romans, and then they skim the top profits off the top, and they make themselves rich off of the backs of their own people. So Jesus doesn't tell them to walk away from being tax collectors. He just says, well, don't collect more than you're allotted to collect. Or rather, not Jesus. Rather, John the Baptist does it. Just 
don't collect more than you're supposed to. And then the soldiers come, and they want to be baptized. Tell us, what should we do? And, and he does not tell them, lay down your arms. He doesn't tell them, lay down their arms. He says, just don't extort money from people. Be content with your wages. Here's what he's saying. Whether you're a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, a vocational pastor, a missionary, a soldier, a tax collector, whether you're a research assistant at the University of Iowa, whether you're a student, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're a single person, whether you're a college student, whether you're an old man that can't work anymore, it doesn't matter what you are. Go be image bearers. What you do must be a function of who you are, not the other way around. If you flip it and make it the other way around, you will find yourself not being able to grasp a hold of the joy which Jesus said he came to give us. Okay, so here's a test. Here's a test. If, as the song goes, joy, joy, the Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary, if that joy is really ours, when we start to lose the very things that we identify as what makes us us, we can't lose our joy. But if our joy flies away and is gone when we suffer loss, then our identity has been misplaced we have started to identify ourselves according to what we do. Let's take a look at how John the Baptist handles this. Let's jump ahead to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Verse 26, which is here on the PowerPoint. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. So let's just stop and analyze what just happened here. John's disciples are having a discussion with someone about ritual purification. And invariably, they ended up discussing Jesus and his disciples who were on the other side of the Jordan. And everyone is going from John's camp to Jesus' camp. His capital as a prophet is diminishing because Jesus' capital as a Messiah is increasing. So as Jesus grows in popularity, John wanes in popularity. And John's disciples are like, that's not fair. Something needs to be done about this. Now, if John's identity is based upon his performance, how does he respond? He's going to be devastated. But that's not how he responds. Let's take a look. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear we witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, to whom stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Here's what he just said. Listen, I'm not the groom. I'm a friend of the groom. And all of these people that are leaving me, that used to follow me, that are going over to him, they're the bride of Christ. And I am celebrating that the bride is being united with the groom. 
I'm not the groom. My joy is complete. My purpose is fulfilled. My identity is not as a baptizer because I'm not baptizing much these days because everyone's going over to Jesus. And then he says these very famous words, he must increase and I must decrease. Now let's just do a little thought experiment. If Grace Community Church, one church, two locations, if a new church was planted in downtown Iowa City or Coralville or, or North Liberty, and everybody in Grace Community Church, both the North Liberty campus and the downtown campus, all left, and they went to that new church. And it wasn't just transfer growth where everybody leaves this church and goes to that church. But that as this new church was planted, there was a revival and a renewal that swept through Iowa City so that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of students and people in Coralville and Iowa City and North Liberty and Cedar Rapids began to be saved in such a way that there was a supernatural awakening of God. But there was no one here. Would I be okay with that? You're like, I can't answer for you. You seem kind of proud and arrogant, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If I'm in the Spirit and my identity is rooted in who I am in Christ, I would rejoice. If my identity is as a preacher who no longer has any influence, it would crush me. Now, most of you aren't vocational ministers. So, where do you derive your significance and worth? What is the most important thing to you? What if it was taken from you? Would you be devastated? In North Liberty, this was easy because it's a little bit different demographic. But I, I asked, there's a few of you, so you can play along, moms. How many of you find your significance in your children? Be honest. You're way more honest than the North Liberty crowd. So in a crowd of about four to 500 people, three ladies raise their hand. That means one of two things. The group is really, really sanctified or they're all liars or self-deluded or both. I'm guessing that they just, they just don't want to play the game. They don't like to, oh, Brooks wants us to raise our hand. Not going to do it. So, but here's the thing. This is a common thing. We tend to identify ourselves. We derive our worth and our identity in terms of what we do, whether it's as a mom or as a research assistant or as a doctoral candidate. But what happens when you don't get approved into your doctoral program? What happens if your thesis is rejected as a, as a student? What happens if you stake your identity on the relationship which is just now budding, which you hope becomes a marriage, and it falls apart? What happens if you develop a chronic illness and you can't do any of the things you used to be able to do that made you who you are? If your identity is in anything other than Christ, you will be crushed. And you will never have joy.
or worse, you'll succeed. Your kids will turn out perfect. You'll win all the awards in your field. You'll be the most successful person, the successful businessman, businesswoman, researcher, and you will begin to believe that the blessings that you are receiving are a result of your performance. And you'll be just like the Pharisees whom Jesus referred to as a brood of vipers. Do you see how vitally important it is to make sure your identity is rooted in not in what you do, but who you are in Christ? John the Baptist is a perfect model for what it means for a fallen sinner to find their identity in their Savior. And then when his influence is completely washed up, he's ready to step off the stage and he's filled with joy. Filled with joy. Even in the midst of becoming irrelevant. That's some good stuff. How do we get there? John says, I must decrease so that he can increase. Do you know how he was able to do that? Because Jesus did the same thing. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says that although being in very nature God, Jesus didn't consider or, 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 or grow, hold on to, um, consider the, being equal with God something that should be held on to. But it says that he emptied himself. It, he emptied himself. And in taking the nature of, 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 of humanity, he became flesh humbled himself and became obedient, became a servant and became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. Why did he do that? Because his identity was rooted in the oneness that he had with the Father. And what he did flowed from his identity of oneness with the Father. And that was to endure the cross, scorning its shame. He endured the cross and scored the shame, scorned the shame of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus himself, as John the Baptist, allowed himself to step off the throne and decrease in glory, didn't consider something to be grasped, so that he could take on human sin, so that he could be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a principle here. When we are willing to decrease, when we are willing to die to self, then and only then are we lifted up and exalted. And that's where joy comes from in terms of what God has done for us. So this Christmas season, make it a point to draw near to him and ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Grant me the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who already have a relationship with Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to help your identity be rooted in who Jesus is, not in what you do. I just started reading a book that Gene recommended to me called uh, A Pilgrim's Rest. And I'm just in the first chapter, and I'm not too far through it, but I thought they were right on. They said, typically when we become Christians, what's the first thing that we hear in the church? 
Here's all the things you have to do. Here's a quiet time, a prayer life. You need to be in community. You need to be on mission. Sound familiar? And then you suck at most or all of those. And now your self-perceived worth as a Christian begins to drop and diminish and drop and diminish until you either have to fake it or you just want to quit. Anybody ever feel that way in the church? Stop it. It's not who you are. Who you are is a blood-bought child of God. And when the Savior and when the Father looks at you, they see someone who is perfectly righteous, washed, royal, worthy, not in their own merit, but in the merits of Christ. Whether you fail to open up the Bible tomorrow and you forget to pray for the salvation of your coworkers or not, your identity can't ever change. Let that be your meditation as you await the celebration of the birth of your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that our identity is rooted so much in you. And the truth of the matter is, Lord, we forget that. Right now we know it. Right now we're celebrating it. But there's a good chance come Monday morning we'll be back on the treadmill trying to perform again, trying to justify our worth to you, trying to justify our worth to everyone else, and we'll wear ourselves out and we'll end in despair or worse, we'll succeed and think we're something we're not. So Father, help us to walk in grace. Help us to give grace and encourage one another all the more so as we wait your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.